Hey, welcome back to the show. It's Jasmine. Oh, I have such a good chat today. It's with Nadia Okamoto. She's the co-founder of August. If you don't know them, they are a sustainable period care company targeting Gen Z. The founder who we're chatting with today is Gen Z. She is just the most impressive 24-year-old you have ever met. She's built, I think it's 3 million TikTok followers around her brand and their mission to make periods more inclusive, destigmatized, and more sustainable. There is so much to learn from her about not just leveraging social media, but how to build a community on Geneva as well, and how to learn from your customers when you're developing product, but also just in general about social media trends that Gen Z are adopting and the products that are resonating and the brands that are resonating with that demographic at the moment as well. You guys are really gonna love this conversation. But before we crack on with the show, I have a quick update. I wanted to thank our sponsor. Yes, we have a sponsor of the show. Thank you, Gorgeous, for supporting the Female Founder World podcast and community. By having a sponsor, it means that we can bring you all of this content for free. So stick around, we've got a really quick ad break, and then we'll jump into the conversation with Nadia. I am Alexandria Collis, Director of Customer Experience for Princess Polly. I'm focused on our strategy and innovation in the CX department here at Princess Polly. The Princess Polly online store was born in a true startup style in 2010 in Australia, and we launched our US-based operation in Los Angeles in 2019. And now we are one of the fastest growing online women's fashion brands in the US and Australia. Our first value is customer centricity, so every single department is paying attention to the customer experience. We aim to deliver every single time and being customer focused is really daring to be different. We first and foremost listen to our customers and always remember that customer perception is reality. Our demographic is Gen Z and this is the I expect a response now. I call them the now customer. Our CX teams engage across every single channel. It is very important that we meet our customers where they are and Gorgeous allows us the opportunity to be efficient with all of these channels located in one place. We show up to work each and every day with one goal in mind, and that is to provide the best customer experience for our customers all over the globe. I have a quote, and I always tell our CX leaders that customer experience is the heart of an organization, and we pump the blood and deliver the oxygen to the vital organs in the business to help them thrive and grow stronger. So AI and tech have played a large piece in a a lot of the decisions that we've made at Princess Polly over the last year and going forward that we will make when it comes to utilizing systems to their fullest optimization. I will share that late last year, for example, we migrated ticketing platforms from, from the very popular Zendesk to Gorgeous because it is the experience that we're focused on, the agent experience and the customer experience. If you're interested in learning more about Gorgeous, you can go to gorgeous.com and start a free trial today. Hey, Nadia, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Before we hit record, we were chatting about your fundraise. And at the time of recording this, you guys are on track to close your seed round. Can we chat a little bit about that and what that process has been like? Yes, we're wrapping it up right now, which is super exciting. We This is our second time doing a raise for August. Um, and so it's definitely less intimidating, you know, six mm-hmm. months in. But uh, fundraising is always quite draining because it's kind of a lot of pitching and answering questions and a lot of phone calls um, on top of continuing to run the business. So, uh, so yeah, I'm really, really excited to be super close to being done. And um, hopefully we'll have it wrapped up by the end of the month. Oh, congrats. That's amazing. 
have you, you haven't gone through this twice now, can you share some of your learnings and also how did you bridge those gaps in knowledge that you had when you were going into this for the first time? I mean, I think that there were like uh, so many gaps in my knowledge on fundraising. I didn't even know like what, I didn't really understand the concept of taking capital for equity. I didn't know what a term sheet was or a convertible note or a safe. Yeah. Like, I think that the hardest part of fundraising when I was getting started was it's just a totally different language, right? There's different terms, there's different, um, like there's also just different philosophies for each people on how you raise capital, whether the goal is to raise as much as possible versus as little as possible. So for me, I did a lot of my learning just by having as many mentors as possible and as many friends as possible who could kind of share insights. There's no right way to fundraise, I think. Uh, I think a lot of it is personal decision and based off of like your value system as well. And so I think a lot of it was just doing my own research, both online, but also just talking to any other founders, asking them how they did it, what they wish they would have done differently, um, who they raised from, like what kind of investors they liked working with. Um, so for me, I think when, you know, I started this journey, like about a year ago, a year and a half ago, you know, and it was just a lot of talking to as many people as possible and asking them for their advice. And I think from there, starting to really understand what we wanted to do with August. What is your philosophy then? You know, you spoke about how some founders are raising as much as possible, others are taking a different approach. Where do you guys sit? Yeah, I think for me, it was, you know, uh, me and my co-founder really agreed that we didn't want to raise as much money as possible because mm -hmm. it would dilute us as founders, which isn't ideal long term. And I think we have a lot of ideas on how we want to build the business differently. And in order to do so, we have to maintain, you know, decision making control over it. And so that means not giving up too much of the company so early on. I also think that we didn't want to raise like not enough money because we wanted to be scrappy. But at the same time, we didn't want to be like strapped for cash and have to make compromises on things like impact and sustainability. So I think a lot of it was really working on a financial model that could get us like six to eight months post-launch um, in a way where we had enough data to do another raise at a higher valuation, but also not enough cash where it would be like, oh my gosh, we're going to go out of business, you know, within a mm -hmm. month, right? So I think it was kind of finding that healthy balance. And I think that even more so, our biggest uh, kind of guiding post on um, how we were raising money was really making sure that we were raising from the right people. So it took us over a year to raise our pre-seed round. We raised about $2 million and that took us over a year because we were constantly trying to evaluate, is this the right partner? Do they, are they aligned with the vision of the company? Um, do they understand what we're trying to do? Are they cool with us, you know, showing period blood? Do they know mm -hmm. that we're going to be really focused on community that we don't want to spend so much money on paid marketing, right? Like we had certain things in our minds that we were really, you know, we were really uh, committed to and we needed to make sure that we had the right investors who were aligned with that. I think at the same time, like, you know, Nick and I were raising our seed round when we were in our senior year of college. Like I, we both just graduated college in June. And while this isn't our first company, we it's our first social enterprise. Like we're still learning so much about it. And so it meant that we wanted to surround ourselves with investors who could bring a lot of strategic insight. So it meant like finding, wanting to make sure our, our cap tables filled with, first of all, like menstruators, like female mm -hmm. investors, but also making sure that, um, you know, that we had expertise represented, whether it be like some global supply chain and uh, having worked in CPG and fulfillment and um, performance marketing, like I've never worked on performance marketing. I've always been more on like the brand storytelling side. 
So I think a lot of it was just trying to be as thoughtful as possible on who we took money from because this is like a long-term relationship. Mm. I think that's a really smart way of thinking about it. I wanted to just kind of go back to the early days and understand August's origin story. You said you kind of started this while you were at college and I don't know, I want to understand how does that happen? Like how did this idea come about and how did you get this off the ground? Yeah, well, me and my co-founder uh, actually worked on our last company together called Juve Consulting. It was a Gen Z marketing agency. He was the co-founder and COO. I joined as uh, chief brand officer a few years ago. Um, prior to that, I was working on the nonprofit side. I ran a nonprofit called Period for six years. I started it when I was 16 and it grew to have, you know, chapters around the world. And we were doing, you know, pretty extensive distribution of millions of period products around the country. So for me, I kind of like came from that period, the period themed world in my career. And I was still on book tour. Um, I just published my first book a couple of years ago with Simon & Schuster called Period Power. So I think for me, like I was always in the menstrual health space. And naturally, when I got into Gen Z marketing, a lot of my clients were in the femme care space. And there was no real like premeditated idea of starting a company like when mm. I entered this career. But I think at the same time, like it was a very natural progression of what I wanted to do with my career because, you know, suddenly I was working with all these period companies, learning a lot about the product and a lot about even the finances behind it, um, learning about like how they market, how they think of community, how they think of brand and just really feeling like there was a need for something different. And, you know, Nick being a friend and a colleague at the time, we just kind of we're always talking about it and kind of I was venting to him about everything I thought could be different about the industry and it kind of finally got to a point where we're like okay we're gonna we're gonna do something about it and that's how August came about oh good for you I love it when people see an idea and they just go out and, and do it um you spoke about August being a social enterprise and for folks who maybe they're a little bit confused about how that mixes with also being an e-commerce company like what does being a social enterprise mean for you and how does that relate to what you're building as a company i think for us like being a social enterprise means that we are doing business with a very centered goal of like creating public good and benefit for the world and so what that means is making sure that one we're doing everything we can to prioritize making an ethical more sustainable supply chain um, making sure that we're trying to make a difference even with like the branding and marketing we do right changing the conversation around periods and that we're embedding tangible impact into every single purchase right so for us like for every purchase with august we're donating products we're tax-free we don't you know, charge the tampon tax to people. It's not passed through in price, but it's something that we're really thinking about of like, how can we constantly be using our platform as an enterprise to make social impact? And I think that for me, like, that's something I really believe strongly in and kind of my motivation from jumping over from the nonprofit side was, I think I've started feeling really stuck working in nonprofits being like, okay, I'm running this organization that is kind of beholden to a lot of our donors who are private corporations who at the end of the day, like aren't really centering the goal of social impact in their work. Like we're kind of like an afterthought marketing mm -hmm. exercise. And I think for me, it was like, but we live in a capitalist uh, society where capitalism, consumerism are kind of toxic traits that aren't going anywhere. Right. And I think that for me, it was really thinking about like, well, then how do you take that consumerist mindset and like a commodity product that people are gonna have to buy anyways, regardless of whether or not a better company exists, people need period products. So how do you create an enterprise that is serving that need for consumers, but also building an impact into everything that we do and how we exist? 
you have a pretty impressive community around the brand. You have literally millions of TikTok followers. You have an active Geneva community. What were some of the early things that you did to get traction on the community side before you actually launched a product? And I think this was early 2021. So we actually launched in June, 2021, but we started the community uh, like in 2020. And so for us, the community started like, we didn't even officially decide to do the company or what products we were gonna do until we like had the community set and we had them to like be able to ask like what they needed and like Mm. kind of centering their voices and everything. But I think for us, like it started by just like DMing people that we knew, having them bring in their friends and then just like trying to figure out the best, like what they wanted to talk about, kind of like, was there a need for community? What need could the community feel, fill? And so I think at the beginning, a lot of it was just like following their lead. But, you know, in early 2021, we started bringing it more to social media, right? Where it was like, suddenly we had this community that was excited to spread the word about what we were doing. And so uh, a lot of it was like then translating it to something that was publicly available. I think the other exciting thing about the other exciting thing about when we launched in, in June 2021 was then we suddenly had a product that we could talk about, right? We had worked for a year on developing a better product uh, that we were excited to share. And so it was kind of taking it to social media and really also working with our communities to spread the word. I mean, for those of you who've been following August know that like TikTok has been a huge channel for that, right? So like I started on TikTok um, and August started on TikTok last year and we're collectively at about 3 million followers. And so like, you know, within a matter of eight months, that's been a really incredible channel just to like build community, bring uh, brand awareness more to the product and to the brand of what we're doing, talk about more about our impact and our sustainability initiatives, and also just kind of, you know, talk to more menstruators. So that's been really, really fun. And from a business perspective, it's been wonderful because it's been able to really support our organic growth. Well, that is so much growth in eight months. And I want to talk about, like, we're definitely going to get into TikTok in a second, but let's just stay on community for a sec. Did you launch the community in Geneva? Was it always built in that platform? Yeah, from the very beginning, it originally started as like an email list and Zoom calls. Um, but uh, we moved over to Geneva, which is like Slack for Gen Z, essentially. Um, and uh, the, our community is still there. And our community is called the Inner Cycle. Um, kind of like a play on the inner circle. Uh, But Mm -hmm. but yeah, that's where our community is. And we really love the platform just as a way to like really connect with the community, have different chat spaces. And our community team hosts like multiple events a week. So we're really able to have that deeper relationship with them as well. When you're moving the community over from just like an email list and Zoom calls to Geneva, do you have a full publishing and event schedule? Are there moderators running the group? Like what does that look like? Honestly, I think that everything we did with the community was kind of just, again, following the what the community wanted to do, mm-hmm. right? I think that like we learned really on, early on that like we couldn't prescribe anything to them, right? Like, and we've tried, so it's a lot of trial and error, right? Oh, let's see if they want to do social challenges. Okay, nope. Uh, you know, <laughs> let's see if they want to do workout classes together. Okay, kind of. Let's see if they want to do live chats with different founders and different doctors and OBGYNs. Yes, right? Like, I think a lot of it was trial and error. And a lot of it was also like, let's ask them what they want to talk about, right? Like a rich, like our community continues to shift based off of what chat rooms there are. Are they themed? Do they change? You know, what kind of polls do they respond to? Um, and a lot of that was, was really following their lead as much as we could. Okay. You're obviously an expert in all things Gen Z marketing and Gen Z brand building and community building. Talk to me. Why is Gen Z different from millennial? Yeah. I mean, I think that there's so much that is different. I think like 
as a brand that is heavily digital, like especially during a pandemic, I think it's one acknowledging that like while millennials are, you know, native to the internet, right? Like they kind of came up when the internet was becoming more a part of daily life. Like Gen Z is social native to social media, right? Like this is something that like we've been on since we were eight or nine or earlier, right? Like wow. my formative years, I was on social media before I hit puberty, right? Like mm-hmm. there are these kind of really core facets of like, I think with a lot of millennial brands, a lot of the messaging is like consume to then live a life off of social media. And I think that for us, it's like, no, people are going to be online regardless. So like, how do we make online spaces a little bit like healthier, you know? Um, And I think what that means is also creating more touch points as a brand. Um, And I think that from a Gen Z consumer perspective, Gen Z rightfully so expects a lot more from the brands that they consume from, right? They expect a lot more transparency, a lot more living out their values, a lot of, you know, that's where you see a lot of Gen Z consumers pushing back on brands for greenwashing and wokewashing. And I think that that's something we're super hypersensitive about because we do that as like Gen Z founders. I think another thing is from a Gen Z, like consumer demographic perspective, diversity and inclusivity are so important because we're so different. And I mean, even as a result of living in a digital world where trends are changing and we can kind of explore all these different parts of our identities, like I'm a very old Gen Zer. I just turned 24 and I'm on like the up older end of Gen Z. Mm-hmm. And I am so different from someone who's four years younger than me, right? Mm-hmm. Like even at how I use social media. And I think that that's something we're super cognizant of. And so I think that, you know, as a, we're a brand that, where our products can be used by any menstruator of any age. And we have a lot of moms who like love buying our products and then buying it for their daughters as well. And we like love connecting with them. But I think for us, first and foremost, like our target demographic is Gen Z. And a lot of that is because like, is less of a strategic decision and more of a like, I'm Gen Z. So like, who am I to talk to Gen X about periods? But like, this is what I understand because that's who I am, you know? And so, um, but I think that there's there's a lot from a consumer behavior perspective, simply from how we live on social media, how we consume, the values that we have, and like our standards even for quality from the very beginning. Yeah, I think that is so interesting. And what you said about building for an audience that you're part of, I think that that would make so much sense. And you can speak so much more authentically to consumers if you are one. I want to also just talk about what else you're doing. You know, you've got TikTok, you've got Geneva, like what else is driving the business board? What other marketing activities are really working for you guys? I think that honestly, it's like really focusing on community as much as possible. Mm. And, you know, we're continuing to also build out like our paid pers- paid media perspective. It's something that we've definitely done slower than organic, but because we really wanted to ensure that we understood organic as much as possible. But it is something that we've kind of grown further into. You know, influencers isn't something we really leaned into because it's super expensive, but also like we've kind of just like had our team become the internal influencers mm-hmm. um, and relied on our community. And something that's coming up is product development. So uh, really working on introducing and developing new product with our community as well. Oh, let's talk about that. What do you mean by your team have become internal influencers rather than you guys leveraging external influencers? I feel like that's really interesting. Like the people who make content like work within our team where we're not kind of hiring and things like that. We're very much like, you know, relying on our our team and our community. What kind of content are they making? What's working best for you? Short form video. We're just like really leaning into TikTok, Uh, not even TikTok, but also reels and really leaning into short form video content as much as possible. 
you mentioned those content creators there, but what does the rest of your team look like? Like how are you split out between who you've hired internally versus the contractors and freelancers that you're working with at this stage and size of business? Yeah, so we primarily, we do like most of everything in house and we have six full-time staff and two part-time. We're bringing on another full-time in the next uh, month or so, but for us, like it's split kind of half and half between ops, uh, working on kind of B2B partnerships and wholesale and my co-founder really runs everything operationally. Um, and then kind of our marketing and content side as well, which is like me and two people making a lot of content every day. It's a lot of content for a pretty lean team. I find it really interesting now how founders are very much the face of their brands with TikTok and even Instagram Reels, I guess, as well. And I know that I've heard you say in the past that when you first got started, you're posting like 50 TikTok videos a day and you obviously have so many other responsibilities in the business as well. And I'm just wondering, like, how much time are you putting into content and community now? Probably like two hours, like Mm -hmm. actually not a lot, because I usually have like 20 phone calls a day right Mm -hmm. so like i think that people see me on tiktok and they assume that like that's all i do but like (laughs) no tiktok for me is like kind of a hobby like it's the thing that i do like as a result of all the other work i'm doing throughout the day like most of my job as a ceo is like on phone calls and talking about partnerships and um, kind of thinking three to six months in advance i think that it's really it, it really depends on what company you're looking at too right like i think that for a lot of consumer brands it makes sense for the founder to be forward facing but like my co-founder is equally as much a part of this company as i am and mm-hmm. he is never on social media right and like we need him to be super operationally focused i also think that it depends on what kind of founder what companies you're looking at are you looking at a consumer packaged goods brand where it's honestly more cost efficient for the founder to be an influencer because then you're lessening your cost on influencers and your cost of acquisition Or are you looking at like a B2B SaaS company, right? Where there isn't really a lot of marketing uh, publicly on social media and that's not really needed, right? So I think that it really depends on kind of what company you're looking at. But I think that for us, it's more just been like a, it was honestly like less of a strategy and more like impatience on my part. I was like, I can either go find influencers and like write a brief and negotiate with them to make content, or I can like sit down myself for an hour and make 20 to 50 videos a day, just trying out different things. Yeah, that makes absolutely perfect sense. The last question that I ask everyone who comes on the show is for a resource, and that could be like a book, a podcast, a community that you're part of, something that's helped you as you've been building the business. Uh, Yeah, I don't really listen to like a lot of business books, nor do I like read any or like, yeah, I don't really like consume like when I'm not working, I'm more listening to like things that make me happy. So like, Mm -hmm. or just interested. So like, I listen to the daily, the New York Times podcast every single day. I'm super into that. I think for me, like I, I'm just, I love listening to the community. I definitely like Instagram stock, a lot of our community members. And I think that for me, like I do some consulting on the side and like the biggest mistake I see companies make is just like kind of building their marketing initiatives and their brand around what they think their consumers want rather than listening to their consumers. And I think for us, like I spend a lot of time just like looking at the community, like seeing what they're talking about, seeing what they care about. I pay a lot of attention to feedback on the product. And I think for me, like I, I'm always very hyper aware that like our period products, I think are the best tampons and pads out there, but I also think that we can keep improving on them. And so I think that that's something that I'm hyper aware of. So I'm like super eager to listen and hear what people have to say. And I think for us, like really acknowledging that we're not here to prescribe a solution, but really here to like co-create a solution with and for our community. And that's something that I never want to lose sight of. I read somewhere that you have like 2000 people in the community. Is that right? Yeah, a little over 2000. Is it like a self-sustaining ecosystem community now or are you guys actively managing it? 
Um, we do have team who like actively manages the events and, you know, responds to people when they have questions, but for the most part, it's pretty like self-starting. Um, and it's really morphed into a community talking a lot about mental health. And, um, you know, I think for us, like it was an unexpected expansion into talking about mental health, but at the end of the day, you can't talk about vulnerable things and periods without touching yeah. on mental health. Yeah, that makes sense. When you think about other brands that kind of sit alongside you, I guess, you know, that you're hearing your community talk about and that you think are really resonating with Gen Z, maybe in other categories completely, but what do you think those brands are? You know, I think that, you know, we primarily, we have a gender inclusive community, you know, but at the same time, like our, the majority of our demographic are, you know, young Gen Z cis women and girls. Um, and I'd say that, you know, kind of generalizing on them, like uh, I would say that they're consuming a lot from other Gen Z focused like beauty brands, um, mm-hmm. if anything. And so I think that we see a lot of overlap with like Fenty Beauty and uh, Glossier interest. Um, and uh, and yeah, and I think I think at the same time, though, like we are also attracting people who are kind of done with other consumer brands and are really interested in like something deeper. But yeah, I would say that there's a lot of overlap with some of their beauty brands. It's really interesting to know because I feel like I hear a lot of brands say, you know, we're a Gen Z beauty brand. And I'm kind of like, mm, I don't know, if, is this actually resonating with Gen Z or not? And I didn't know that like Glossier was big with Gen Z. I definitely would think of that as more of like a millennial brand. No, I don't think I don't really. I think that it's kind of becoming less and less a Gen Z brand. But I think mm-hmm. it's something that like when people think of like, oh, uh, like what's a, what's a makeup brand all your friends are talking about? Like Glossier is still kind of one of the ones up there, right? I think it would be like, uh, like my sister, for example, she talks about Glossier, but she's really more of a consumer of Fenty, right? And I think mm-hmm. that like, there's there's a lot of like brand awareness of Glossier. Mm, that's really interesting. What about um, some of those newer brands like Topicals or Starface or Bread Beauty? Yeah. Uh, we haven't seen as much over- overlap with them, but I mean, like we love Starface and I think that Starface has been like also done a great job of like, you know, connecting with Gen Z community and it's something that they're aware of from seeing influencers wearing it. Um, but yeah, we don't actually talk a lot about other brands. Like I think yeah. that for us, it's like we're a lot of the community space and like what we love about it is that like rather than, it's attracting a lot of people who are kind of like done being on social media all the time and like want to be in kind of like a deeper conversation space. Do you feel like the people in your community, in your Geneva community, are using other social media less and they're more focused on those like smaller group chats or are they using those groups and communities on top of, you know, TikTok and Instagram? I think it's something that they're adding, but at the same time, like we live in an attention economy, right? Like you either spend an hour on our community or you're spending it scrolling on TikTok, right? Like Mm. I think that for, that's kind of how I think about it, which is like none of these people are trading in social media, but they are like, we're engaging them for a period of time that they would otherwise be putting elsewhere. Okay. This conversation has been so fascinating. Nadia, thanks so much for coming on Female Founder World and congrats on nearly closing your round. I know, fingers crossed, we're almost done. Um, Thank you so much for having me. Quickly before you go, you're probably sitting there thinking, "Mm, I really need to step it up on TikTok or maybe I need to get started on TikTok. That's what I'm thinking right now. Either way, we hosted a free workshop for our Female Founder World community and it is available to replay. So if you didn't watch it live, you can find it through our newsletter archive at femalefounderworld.beehive. That's B-E-E-H-I-I-V.com. You'll be able to access the free recording there and also sign up to make sure you don't miss any of our future workshops, which are sent out through our newsletter. 
And actually one more thing, I know there are thousands of you listening now, which is awesome, but most of you haven't left a review yet. So if you could drop a five-star review wherever you listen to podcasts, it really helps me to get sponsors and to get partners and really great guests on the show if we have a lot of five-star reviews. So drop that in wherever you listen to podcasts. Big thank you. Bye.